0: Well, amen. It is great to see you this morning. I know that many of you are hoping I'll preach real early so you can get to the pre, 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 pre game for the Super Bowl and all that. So uh, thanks for being here today. We are going to uh, dive into uh, a real great subject that really goes to the theme of this book, which is how God speaks. But specifically, how does God speak during turbulent times? Turbulent times in your own life, but even turbulent times in the world, turbulent times in society. In fact, It's interesting as we've been studying this book together, we realize that the book of Samuel overlaps with the book of of Judges. In fact, if you look at a map of uh, what it looked like in the Promised Land, Jacob's descendants, the 12 sons of Jacob, is how the land's been divided. So each one of those colors are different areas where Jacob's descendants have found themselves. And If we zoom in here, you can see a little zoom. You'll see the little white boxes are all the Judges. So from the book of Judges, we have Deborah, we have Ehud, we have a, a variety of people like Samson. And Samson is a contemporary to Samuel, so they're living during the same time. So if you zoom in a little bit more, you're going to see that some of the key concepts we're looking at today in the next few weeks will be very important. We're finding ourselves here in Shiloh, that's where the tabernacle is. And as we find ourselves, the, the, the ark's going to be taken eventually over to Ashdod, one of the Philistine areas. And that's going to be returned to this little city here called um, Kerith, Jerum. Very, very important city in the next couple of weeks. You're going to hear King Saul talk about the fact that, oh my goodness, I can't be king, I'm a Benjamite. And Samson's living during the time of Samuel, and he married a woman for like two minutes in Timnon, the wedding didn't go well, and he burns down a bunch of fields, but that's where his his wife is from, the Philistine woman. Well, this time was very, very turbulent, the time of the judges. In fact, so much so that the book of Judges says this, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone, everyone... The judges, the prophets, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This was a very turbulent time. As Drew mentioned last week, even the priests aren't following God. Eli's not holding his kids' account. His two kids, the priests, are, Hopney and Phineas, are just a horrible job of stealing from the coffers and sleeping around with people in the worship center. It was just a disaster. And yet in the middle of that, priests who can't hear from God, priests who don't even know God... God is going to raise up someone who can hear from God in Samuel. In fact, that's our key verse for today. And this would be a great verse to memorize if you're interested in that. This verse is the theme to our book. But it's actually what God says through Eli to Samuel. If he, God, calls you, you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant Shema. Shema. Hears. Shema, O Israel. The Lord your God is one. Shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. That word shema, the most important principle in all of the Hebrew Mosaic law, is the word here, your servant hears. So what does it mean for us to hear from the Lord? I want to give you three ways that you can sensitize your ears to God from this passage. So that if God speaks, I don't know about you, God doesn't always speak in such clear ways, but when he does, I want to be sensitized to hear it. I want to feel it. I want to understand it. I want to be ready for it. So I want to increase the chances that when he does speak, you'll be able to hear his nudgings. So the first thing we want to look at, the first action step for listening to God, is to make space to hear from God. We live in such a busy time and turbulent time, we often don't make space to hear from God. It says, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Now, as we talked about in the book of Leviticus, This was called sacred space, where the tabernacle was. This is where heaven and earth came together, and it was literally called sacred space. And Samuel finds himself in sacred space, daily ministering before the Lord. So he's in a space to hear from God. Now, he's doing that with Eli, his mentor. Eli is not hearing from God. In fact, as you're going to see in a moment, Eli has lost his ability to see what God is doing and hear what God is doing. It mentions that a word from the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no widespread revelation. So what's interesting here is, here's this sacred space designed to hear from God. Samuel will hear from God. Eli's lost the ability to hear from God. And Phineas and Ferb, you know, Hopney and Phineas, they have actually totally and completely rejected the ability to hear from God. So here's my question to you. As you see Samuel... Making space and entering sacred space to hear from God. Are you creating those kind of disciplines? Obviously, you're here this morning as an opportunity to hear from God. That's one. Are you making times during the day to maybe turn the radio off and say, God, speak to me? Maybe you want to sing some songs or share your day or pray or meditate. You're creating space to enter into sacred space. Say, God, I need to hear from you to order my day. Now, within Christian circles, there's kind of a, a spectrum. Now, the Bible calls this the Logos when God speaks through the Bible, Logos, and Numas when the Holy Spirit gives you a word. Now, some churches are like, God doesn't do any Numas anymore. We don't need that anymore. We've got the canon. God doesn't need to speak anymore. I'm like, well, I don't know about you, but I need some Holy Spirit words as well. So over here you have God doesn't speak at all anymore. And over here you have like God speaks to you all the time. God told me what parking spot to go in today. God told me what kind of coffee to drink. And so Christians have kind of a wide spectrum of this. And I want to propose to you that humility is needed on both sides. Because you do need God even if the Bible is, the canon is completed. You need the Holy Spirit to help you interpret it, help you be convicted of it. And you need those leadings and those nudgings from the Holy Spirit in the specific circumstances of life. On the other hand, I'm not sure I'm smart enough to know for sure when it's the Holy Spirit, when it's my own flesh, or when it's my own desires. So bring some humility to the table to say, I think I've heard from the Lord. This sounds like the Lord, but I've had many people come up to me over the years. Hey, I heard your son has autism when he was really young. God has just told me he's going to be okay. I've had somebody tell me he wasn't really going to, he's going to grow out of his autism. I'm like, well, listen, I'm not sure what God you're listening to, but I'm not sure that's God, Or or somebody else, when we adopted my son, somebody came up and said, God's spoken to me, and he told me that you and your wife are supposed to adopt again. Well, God ain't speaking to me about that, you know. So so I think to bring some humility to the table to say, hey, I I think I have an impression from the Lord. This might be something you might want to consider. Because even in the New Testament, you see, just because you've heard from the Lord doesn't mean you interpret it correctly. In fact, Mike McIntosh is a Calvary Chapel pastor, and he was talking to Billy Graham one time. And he said to Billy Graham, Billy, have you ever heard from the Lord? Billy Graham. Billy Graham's like, yeah, I think maybe once. I was in North Carolina. I just had this overwhelming sense of peace. And I think that might have been God trying to speak to me. Billy Graham has once and he thinks and he might. I bet you if you asked Billy Graham, has God spoken to you through the Bible, he'd probably have a thousand logos. But even he had quite a bit of humility when it came to the new In fact, as I was studying and making some sacred space in my own life to prepare for this series, I've been reading through the book of Samuel. I had a friend who doesn't attend here, but he had been recently sharing with me that he really felt like life was being very, very hard on him. And I was in a passage in 1 Samuel 27, 28, where David feels like life's being very hard on him. And so that was kind of shaping my message. I was delivering it. And, you know, how do we handle it when life's hard on us or when life's kind of you know, giving us the short end of the stick? I got done with this message. It was a great message, by the way. You're never going to hear it, but it's a great message. I get all the way done how to handle when life's treating you poorly, David's life. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, Chad, you've totally misunderstood this passage. That's not at all what's going on. David thinks he's being mistreated, but David needs to repent. Why is David hanging out and serving the king of Goliath? That's a good question, God. I began to read the previous chapter and the later chapter. And though he thought life was treating him hard and difficult, it was actually him refusing to repent. And God used that interpretation of the Logos to say, Chad, this person in your life who thinks life's been hard on them actually needs to repent. It really helped give me a a, a revelation to the Bible and to the circumstances that's one of the ways God speaks so make some sacred space in your own life minister before the Lord like Samuel does in fact in the last two weeks I've probably had ten different people talk about how our app has been a source for that it's been interesting because our app is designed so you can turn your shower time or your get ready for work time or get ready for bedtime into spiritual growth time you can go onto our website, you can click the current messages and watch videos of services including the worship you can follow with our exploring service if you want or an equipping service you can forward that to folks Or you can go to our book-by-book series. I've heard so many of you talk about how you've created sacred space recently. Somebody told me they've been reading through the book of Galatians because their their men's study referenced it. Somebody told me you're going through a difficult time. You went back 10 years ago to our Phoenix Rising Job series and how God is helping you deal with challenges. Somebody came to our, our family night and said that the How We Love series about marriage and interacting with your kids is a series they listen to by topic. So let our app be that. In fact, on the, on the top left portion of the app, you'll see these three little dots. If you press the three little dots, a little menu comes down, and there are Bible study tools here, uh, Blue Letter Bible and other places to get commentaries, to actually go through passages on your own and to find commentaries to help you with that. So if you want to hear from God, you've got to make space for God. And we have a very, very busy world we live in tonight where there's just so much noise. If we don't make space for God, we're not going to be able to hear from God. the second step if we want to sensitize our ears to God is to open our eyes and our ears now look what happens it came to pass that at that time while Eli was lying down in his place so I want you to picture over here is Eli's place it's not the same place as the tabernacle he's living just outside the tabernacle maybe a few feet maybe 20 feet maybe 100 yards or less now his eyes had begun to grow dim so dim in fact he could not see I think as Samuel's writing this, he's telling us physically what's happening, but it's also a spiritual metaphor what's happening or what has been happening. So physically, he, he literally cannot see because his eyes are growing dim. He's 90. Samuel's probably 10 to 12. But it's also spiritually he's grown dim. He can't see where God's at work anymore and he can't hear God's voice or recognize God's voice anymore. In fact, it says it another way too. The lamp of God had gone out in the tabernacle of the Lord. Now, the lamp of God was the menorah. And again, I think it's physically gone out, telling us it's dusk time. It's also spiritually been going out in that the priests don't even know God and they're not following God. Now, notice it mentions Samuel here. So it says, the lamp of God has gone out in the tabernacle. So it's in the holy place, the tabernacle of the Lord, separate from Eli's place, where the ark of God was and Samuel's lying down. So I take this because Samuel's mentioned in the other place that Samuel is here in the tabernacle, sleeping in the tabernacle, while Eli is sleeping in a separate house in a separate section. Now the job of the priest was to keep these lamps burning. It said in Exodus chapter twenty-seven twenty, "...you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp, the menorah, to burn continually." So it did not have candles. It actually was all made out of metal to look like a tree branch, like the Garden of Eden. The fire to represent the fire of God that led them faithfully through through Israel during those times. And the job of the priest was to keep the fire burning until dusk when it was over. Well, the fire has gone out. Now, if you were with us several weeks ago, we took you to that location of what it looked like in, in Shiloh. So let me take you there again and give you a little bit more details as to where we are and what's going on. We're here in Shiloh. You can see the different archaeological finds. Imagine one of these, as you're coming down the path on the right, might be Eli's house. We're going to turn to the left and come to the tabernacle. As we get to the tabernacle, you'll notice a big tent in the middle. And that's the holy place. As you come in through the front door of the tabernacle, you see the sacrifice. So as you walk in here, you might see Hophni and, and, and Phinehas as they were doing these you know, sacrifices that were really an abomination before the Lord because they weren't doing it the right way. Taking the fat, taking pieces. Then you would wash your hands in the levar, it looks like a bird bath, as you prepared as a priest to go into the holy place. That was this section here. As you came through, you would notice the incense altar with the smoke to represent the, the pillar of smoke that God led his people in. Now on the left is the menorah with seven different candlesticks that the priests were supposed to keep burning. On the right was the showbread with the 12 pieces of bread, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then on the incense altar, just behind the incense altar, was a a veil. This is the veil that's torn when Jesus dies on the cross. It's got two cherubs on there, and behind that is the ark. And in the ark are symbols of God's presence, the Ten Commandments, some manna, and Aaron's rod. So as you picture, that's where we're at. That's the location we're at at this point. And now I want you to kind of visit the scene. Eli is over here in his place. Samuel is actually laying on a cot. In fact, they found some cots from that time, 1390 B.C. So imagine a little cot here in the middle of the incense altar, in the middle of the the tabernacle and the menorah, and the showbread sitting over here. And while he's sitting in this place, God's going to speak. Now, God told Moses that he would speak from behind the cherubs at the ark. So there's a veil right here, and the voice of God is coming to this little 10-year-old sitting on a cot. And it doesn't sound like James Earl Jones, apparently. This is the Lord. It sounds like a human voice. Here's what happens. Then the Lord called Yahweh, and he answered, Here I am. And so he runs to Eli. Do, 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 do. Here I am. You called for me. He said, "I didn't call. Go lay down again." Oh. Do, 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 do. So he went and he lay down. Then the Lord again called. I think from the ark, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went over to Eli and said, "Hey, hey, did you call for me?" He answered, "I did not call, my son. Go lay down again." Do, 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 do. And look what it says next. Now Samuel is only ten. He does not yet know the Lord. Nor was, and look at this phrase, the Word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So this is God initiating what you and I might call becoming a Christian, getting to know Jesus, getting to know the God of the Bible. But more than that, look at this phrase, the Word of the Lord. Now, when you see the phrase, the Word of the Lord, you might think, oh, that just means God's about to speak. No, it means so much more. In fact, look, it says, the Word of the Lord was not yet revealed. Well, it can't be just God speaking because God's already revealed his voice three times. In the Old Testament, when God wants to appear in human form, he uses phrases like the angel of the Lord or the word of the Lord. This is what's called a theophany or the Old Testament appearance of Jesus. Remember, in John it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The phrase the word of the Lord, it's going to be revealed and you're going to see It's very, very clear by the time we're done today, the word of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity, will stand before Samuel here in this space. So it's not just his voice, it's the word of the Lord, it's the name of the second person of the Trinity that will stand here before him and reveal himself to him. That's going to happen here in this passage. Now, here's my question to you. Are you opening your eyes and your ears to the Lord? Because this is God initiating. This is the gospel. That the God who controls all of the universe knows you by name. How cool is that? The God of armies who fights for us says, Samuel, Samuel, 10-year-old Samuel, I want to initiate a relationship with you. I want to open your eyes to having a relationship with me. I've got plans for you. I've got work to be done. And I want to do it with you. God takes the first step when we still don't know him. This is the gospel. It's Jesus initiating a relationship with us, as you'll see in a moment, why it's Jesus. But it's God initiating with us, calling us by name. Have you become like Eli? You've lost your ability to see God's work. Maybe you you don't even recognize it takes three times before you're like, well, maybe God's speaking. I hadn't thought of that, that God may want to speak to the priest. Have your ears become dull? Have your eyes become dim? Open your eyes and your ears to how God might be speaking. Which brings us to our, our third point, and I love this idea of what it is that Eli tells Samuel to do. And it's our third action for sensitizing yourself to hear from God is, are you willing to Shema? Be you willing to Shema? Now the word Shema is very interesting. Like I said, the, the Shema is in Deuteronomy 6, 4-6. Hear, O Israel. Shema, O Israel. It's, it means several things. If you say it to God, Shema, God, you're saying, God, give attention to me. If, G, if God says it to you, he'll say, Shema, listen. Shema, Shema, listen closely. Shema in Hebrew does not mean like uh, sound waves are hitting my eardrums, I hear. And then there's a separate word for obey. In Hebrew, the two are combined. To hear is to obey. To hear is to act. So when you're willing to Shema, you're saying, God, whatever you tell me, I will do it. Shema. I'm willing to Shema. I'm your servant and I will hear. I will obey. I will put into action. I will I will put this into motion. And if it's a good assignment, yes! And if it's a hard assignment, yes! I'm still going to Shema. So with that in mind, here's what happens as the third time Samuel runs over to talk to Eli. The Lord called Samuel again a third time. So he arose and goes to Eli and says, here I am. You did call me. And now for the first time in a long time, Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And it shall be that if he, that voice God, calls you again, you must say, speak, Lord, for I'm your servant, and I, Shema, I'm willing to give you my full attention and obey and do whatever it is you tell me to do. I think often God is awaiting to speak to us, to nudge us, to lead us, until we say, God, it's all on the table. Shema, I'm hearing I'm listening. I'm surrendered and I'm ready. Are you willing to come to the Word, come to your prayer time, come to the Bible and say, God, Shema, I'm ready. I think God wants to speak to us and nudge us and give us words for our our our, our mountaintop experiences and our valley experiences that often we miss out on simply because we're not surrendered. We're saying, God, you can talk to me about this, but don't talk about that. God, you can look in this room, but don't look in the laundry room of my life. And God wants the key to all of the rooms. In fact, several months ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. You might remember him, Mark Green. He was one of the special ops doctors who was with Saddam Hussein the night that we captured him. And I interviewed him several years ago about what it was like to spend an evening with Saddam Hussein asking him questions. Well, over the last couple of years, his life has had some ups and downs. He's a a state congressman for Tennessee. And I saw this last year. He had an incredible opportunity before him that came crashing down. In the middle of that, he had an incredible shema moment with God. We asked God to speak to him in the middle of his highs and his lows. And I called him up and I asked him if he would record a, a kind of a summary of his story. So he did this just for us. So I'd like you to hear his story and specifically look for the attitude he said he brought to the table in the middle of his disappointment to prepare to hear for God. Let's watch together.
1: So my dream job was to be the secretary of the army and uh, the president called me up and, and nominated me to that position and I was ecstatic. I think the president picked me because of my life experiences. You know, I'd been, well, one, I was a West Point graduate, army ranger, uh, served in the infantry, commanded, and then went medical corps back in the army as a special operations physician. And I did two trips to Iraq, one to Afghanistan, so a combat veteran. Um, Got out, I started a healthcare company and grew that company up to over 200 million in annual revenue, a very successful company, so I could run big organizations. And then I was a legislator, so I basically had the skills to go and leverage legislators to get them to support the army. It had really been building in a crescendo the attacks on me, particularly on my faith positions. Um, And so this sort of crescendo of noise in the media, and I'm not able to respond because I'm in a nomination process. You know, the Department of Defense didn't want me to say anything. The White House didn't want me to say anything. So you couldn't respond. So this crescendo of uh, accusations were coming out of the media. And uh, and then I got the call from Secretary Mattis asking me to withdraw. And it was like a kick in the gut. Um, You know, here was this job, this dream job of taking care of soldiers and their families. uh, And it's ripped away. And I went through all of the stages of loss, you know, denial, anger, anger. bereavement, um, disbelief, all that stuff. And I guess the anger really was because of the false accusations. For example, they said I was anti-Latino when I had been named Latinos from Tennessee's Legislator of the Year. It was tough. And I only got through it because of my faith. This method that I use, you, you have to kind of agree at the beginning when you do something that you accept the prim- premise that God is in charge, that he, that I have surrendered my life to him, and that he is the Lord of my life. and So whatever he shows me, uh, I have to do it. I have to believe it. So I, I basically let my Bible open up, and it just fell open to Genesis chapter 50. And Genesis chapter 50, it's the last chapter of Genesis. It's sort of the ending story of Joseph. He, of course, says some very boastful and arrogant things to his brothers. so They hate him. They actually propose killing him, taking his life, and, uh, and one of the brothers convinces them not to do that. Let's, let's fake his death. So they take his coat, put blood on it, and they sold him into slavery in Egypt. Goes to Pharaoh, winds up working for Pharaoh, this deity king of Egypt, and basically becomes the prime minister of, of Egypt. He's, he's running all of Egypt. Well, a famine hits the land, and his brothers, remember these are the guys who sold him into slavery, faked his death, they come to Egypt because they need food from Egypt. Joseph's response, his understanding of the sovereignty of God, had a huge impact on me. What Joseph said was, well, God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So to see the hand of God in being falsely accused of rape, the hand of God in being sold by his brothers into slavery, um, to see the hand of God in all of that for a purpose, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. It blew me away. And the word perfect just kept coming into my head. It's going to be perfect. God's going to put us right where he wants us, and it'll be perfect. Bob Corker, our U.S. senator, decides not to run for office. And Marsha Blackburn, my congressman decides to run for his Senate office. And so I jumped into the congressional race and I had no one run against me in an open seat in in an R20 Republican seat. No one ran, no other Republicans ran. I ran unopposed. God puts us exactly where he wants us. It'll be perfect. And no matter what challenge or difficulty, it has a purpose. Amazing. Now, now maybe you've been in those moments where you're
0: like, oh my God, I'm on the top of the world. This is great. It's easy to pray then. What about when you've lost that job that you thought you were perfect for and you felt like God had been leading, leading, leading and slams the door in your face? Are you then willing to shmock? God, I, I trust that whatever you have before me, I'm surrendered. You're God and I'm not. Your plan's better than mine. And, and like with Joseph, sometimes it took 21 years before that plan got put in place. But are you willing to shmock? to surrender to obey whatever he says and that's our key takeaway today I'd like you to make a daily prayer for the next seven days God help me perceive and hear where you're at work and where your word might be speaking even Eli, as old as he's got as as dim as his eyes become spiritually he finally is able to perceive at the third time that it was the Lord that had called the boy that God was at work here that it was God's voice that was speaking here Would you say, God, for the next seven days, I want to make a daily prayer. Help me perceive and hear, to perceive and hear where you're at work and where your word might be speaking. And here's a little exercise I did several years ago that's helpful for me. A little test to give yourself. Are you in a place where you can hear from God? Two questions to ask yourself. Number one, how open are you to new information on a scale one to ten? Are you open to God speaking to you about your calendar? Mm. are you open to God speaking to you about your checkbook are you open to God speaking to you about your attitude Mm. are you open to God speaking to you about parenting techniques that have become patterns that he might want to change your critical spirit your source of joy how you treat your spouse how teachable you are from your kids how open are you to new information give yourself a number Maybe, you say, most people who do this give themselves about an 8. So I'll just put what most people do. I'm going to give myself an 8. An 8. I'm open to new information. But if you're really honest, it's probably lower. But we'll give yourself an 8. Okay. Now let's, let's have a little schma test. How willing are you to change your attitude, your parenting, the way you speak, the tone you use, your thankfulness quota? How open are you to say, even if I lost the dream job, I'm still going to keep trusting you? So let's say your willingness to change, you give yourself, a, oh, give yourself a, an 8-2. I want you to multiply those two together An 8 times 8, 64% chance of hearing from God. That's like a two eights. And that's if he speaks! You see how important it is to Shema? You need to be able to say, God, I'm open to anything you want to touch on, any finger, any area, any sin, any temptation, any vice. God, I'm open to anything you want to show me. And two, God, I'm willing, because of the grace of God, to change, let your Holy Spirit change me and work in my life. And that way you have a 100% chance of hearing from God if he does speak and nudge you. And here's what I want for you. I want you to have that kind of intimate encounter with Jesus. Remember I told you Jesus steps out of the ark? Let me show you now, now, verse 10. The Lord came, remember, he has been speaking, but now the Lord's moving. The Lord came and stood. Words don't stand. This is the word of the Lord. This is Jesus, Theophany of the Old Testament, steps out from behind the curtain, initiates, and he's standing here in the holy place with Samuel. And he called his other times, and this time he says it twice Samuel, Samuel. Same way you might say, Shema, Shema, listen closely. Samuel, Samuel, emotional appeal. But let's do some stuff together. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant, Shema. And he goes from not knowing the Lord to knowing the Lord in an incredibly tangible, intimate way. Verse 21, this becomes a regular pattern apparently in his life. Then the Lord appeared, not spoke, appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh, and here it is, by, in what method? The word of the Lord. Regularly, theophany experience with Jesus. The Old Testament appearance of Jesus. I want you to have the same thing. I want you to be so open in your ears and your eyes to God's work that whether you're at the top of the, the mountain or whether you're in the bottom of the valley, you have this encounter with Jesus that you sense, he is with me in the valley. And he is with me on the mountaintop. And how can I not surrender to him and trust him? Make a daily commitment, just for the next seven days, that every day, God, help me to perceive and help me to hear where you're at work and how you might be speaking so that you can hear from God in incredibly personal ways that you can face the challenges in your life as well. Can we pray to that end? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you initiate with us and initiate with Samuel. God, may we be a community who just depends on the logos and depends on the numas. God, that you would direct us and nudge us through the challenges of life that we might see you glorified in all of our circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today as we continue our journey. You're not going to want to miss next week as we see exactly what happens right after God speaks to Samuel. So if you want to read ahead, you can read through the rest of chapter 3, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much.